Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, I've been saying uh, since last night, this is the third time I get to preach today, or second time today, third time this weekend, that I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't, last night, like, I got up yesterday morning, and I was like, I was ready to preach to the cat. I was, I, I, I haven't preached for, this is the fourth, it would have been the fourth week if I didn't preach today. A pastor, uh, Pastor Mark preached, then Pastor Brad preached, then Pastor John Nuzo from Victory preached last weekend, and all the messages were incredible. But, you know, I mean, Fisher created to swim, birds are created to fly, and I'm created to preach. I mean, God made me that way. I'm just wired that way. And so I couldn't wait to tell you the great news about Jesus. I mean, that's what we talk about here every week, but it never gets old. In fact, I have pastor friends who say to me, do you ever, do you ever like have a hard time figuring out what you're going to say on Sunday? I said, no, I have a hard time figuring out how I'm going to live long enough to preach all the sermons that I know that there are to preach. But the, the bottom line is that, you know, this, this time of year is an incredible time of year. If, you're, if you can't get excited about Palm Sunday and Easter and you're a preacher, then you probably should stay home. You know what I'm saying? And I, about a week or so ago, I was talking with a friend about new life. And what we were talking about is how challenging the message series have been since last fall. Since last fall, we've had six message series. There was one called Engage that started off the fall, and then we did Just Say Yes, and then we had Christmas at the Movies, then Connect, then we had Love and Respect, and then we had Breakthrough. And during that seven-month period, what we've talked about is how to engage our lives, our work, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the sin, you know, the battle against sin and the world. And then we talked about what it means to say yes to God and no to God and his leadership in our lives and the blessing of saying yes in our lives and how when we become generous with our time, talents, treasure, and touch, God does so much with that. And out of that series... All that happened in that series was we agreed together to come up with a million dollars over the next three years so that the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center can become a reality. And as I've been saying, it's going to become a reality this year. Um, I mean, all the I's aren't dotted and the T's aren't all crossed, but it's going to work out that way. And that's in addition to the regular offerings that you give to the ministry all over the world for New Life and the special ones like the Cuba ministry. And then we, uh, we did the Christmas at the movies thing for a second time. And that was sort of a fun way of saying when Jesus came to the world, it changed everything. I mean, when Jesus came as a little baby, nobody realized that he was going to grow up to be the Savior of the world. And as I said during the Lord's Supper, Savior means he saved us from sin and death. The situation we put ourselves in, he, he got us out of it. And Lord means master, owner. He gets to tell us what to do. And, and the best thing is that when he tells us what to do and we do it, our lives are better. And then in January, we had this Connect series, four weeks on prayer. And it wasn't just four messages about prayer. We had a week of fasting, and Monday to Saturday, the whole month of January, people came, a couple dozen people came every morning at 6.30 here in the worship center to praise God and to break into small groups and pray. And during the message series, we took the Lord's Prayer, and we said, here's how we can speak to God about the things that He wants us to speak about, and then to listen and hear Him respond in our lives and we also developed this daily prayer guide, which is still going on, by the way. If you go to the, the New Life app right now and look on today, there's a, there's a scripture and some prayer focus points that, that sort of came out of that month of prayer. And then in February, we focused on love and respect, marriage. 
And we talked about a special kind of marriage, the marriage God designed in the fabric of creation. Genesis 1 and 2 marriage, we call it, when everything was perfect before sin came into the world in Genesis 3. And that's a marriage between a man and a woman for life with God at the center. And we talked about, uh, you know, if you're not married, if you're single, we ask you to pray for those of us who are married. And we recognize that all of us, regardless of married or, or single, we have a special call and purpose from God to live. And then last month, we had breakthrough. We talked about how to break through the strongholds in our bodies, our souls, and our spirits. And pastors Mark and Brad brought two of the most powerful messages I've ever heard, let alone not just new life, but I mean that I've ever heard. And then last week, all Pastor John from Victory Family Church challenged us to do was to put Jesus first in every area of our lives. So the bar has been raised really high over the last seven months. If you're new here today, I would encourage you even to go back and watch those videos because what we've been asking people to do, ourselves included, is to take the next step, whatever that means, in becoming more the person that Jesus created us to be and redeemed us to be and empowers us to be by the Holy Spirit. There's a myth out there in the culture that says that churches that are growing rapidly like New Life are watering down the message. We are not watering down the message. In fact, we've ramped it up. And and that's what's happened. And as we've ramped up the message, more people have come, more giving has been going on. And some of you have trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, and many of you have been baptized. It's just been incredible. And as I was talking to my friend, I said, you know, When my dad used to end his phone conversations when I was growing up, he always used the same two words. He he didn't say the normal goodbye, but but what he he was, uh, my dad used to um, be a demonstrator for Jeffrey Manufacturing Company. They made mining machines, and he would, you know, whenever the, the miner got to the mines, he would put it together, and he would teach the people how to run it. But when it broke, which it inevitably would, the people from the mine would call my dad And over the phone, my dad would say, well, it could be this, it could be this, you should try that, you should fix this, whatever. And he would try to fix this machine long distance, you know, in Kentucky or Tennessee or some other place. And at the end of the call, he would go, good enough, and hang up. And as a six or seven-year-old, I went, good enough? No, it's not good enough. And so if you were in my shoes, if you were the pastor of, lead pastor of New Life Christian Ministries, you might look at everything that's been going on in the past seven months, and you might say, good enough. No, 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 it's not good enough because we all know somebody, we probably all know a lot of people who haven't yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, whether it's in our own families or whether it's at school, whether it's at work, we know people who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we all have areas of our lives where we still need breakthrough. That's not good enough. All of us have a next step to take that we haven't taken, so it's not good enough. I'm so thankful that the God we serve, when the first two people, Adam and Eve, turned away from him into sin, he didn't say, well, you know, when I created the universe, that wasn't what I expected, but oh well, good enough. What did he do? He said, I'm going to do something so incredible, they would never even be able to think of it. They would never even be able to imagine it. Here's what he did. He became one of us. He became one of us. And, and he, you know, he didn't become you know, a superhero or a Jedi Knight. He didn't even become a king in the usual sense of the word. He became a baby in, in a place where nobody even really knew he was born except a few shepherds. He lived in a world that didn't even have newspapers, let alone smartphones. 
And yet in a world of good enough, in a world of not very good, in a world of downright terrible, he lived a perfect life. Everything he ever said, everything he ever did was perfect. Even his thought life was perfect. And there was one day, just one day in all of his life on earth when people recognized who he was. It's this day that we celebrate, Palm Sunday. Here, here, here in the Christian world, if you will, we have a week. We call it Holy Week. It's from Palm Sunday to Easter. And during those eight days, we celebrate what the God of the universe did. But on Palm Sunday, th- this parade that Jesus had as he marched into Jerusalem was the only time when people said, Hail the King! Hosanna, which means save now. They recognize he was the Messiah. And as the message title uh, reads, you know, nearly everyone loves a parade. And we're going to look at that today because we're going to look at the four groups of people who came to that parade. And if if you've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you probably have realized that Jesus' ministry on earth was short. We believe it was only about three years. At the age of about 30, he started his ministry. And about the age of 33, he died on the cross, rose from the dead and returned to heaven. But on this Palm Sunday, as he entered into Jerusalem, people recognized him, you know, as the miracle worker. I mean, think about this. Jesus, during his three years of ministry, he taught with an incredible authority. No one before or since has ever taught like Jesus. He healed sick people. He made blind people see, deaf people hear. He even raised people from the dead. And he cast demons out of people. And when we hear that today, you know, in the year of 2017, there are four ways that we basically respond to it. I'm going to use the same word to demonstrate. We go, really? I don't buy that. You know, miracles don't happen. Jesus was just a legend. I don't know why people even believe that. Or we go, really? I believe it. I mean, I believe that Jesus did that stuff back then, but that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. Or we go, really? I don't know what I make of that. I really don't know if Jesus is who he says he is. I need some more information. Or we say, really? You know, I believe it. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is because I've experienced it in my own life. And wherever you are along that spectrum, what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on this one idea. We call it our take-home point here at New Life. It's the one thing that we want everybody to take home, and, and we'll think about it and pray about it, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, live it out in the week ahead. And here it is. What we think about Jesus determines how we respond to him. What we think about Jesus in our heads it, it determines how we respond to him with our lives. And on that first Palm Sunday, there were some people who recognized Jesus, for who he was, but not very many, really, in the big spectrum of things. But by Friday, that same crowd that shouted, Hosanna, save us now, they were shouting, crucify him, and they did. I mean, not the crowd, but the the Romans, really in the name of the crowd, crucified Jesus, killed him. And we know, because we live on the resurrection side of Easter, that he rose again from the dead. But here's the thing. In all of human history, there have only been four ways that people have responded to Jesus. People have said he was a legend. And really, that doesn't make any sense because people outside of the Bible talked about Jesus. Roman historians, Jewish historians, they had no desire to call Jesus Lord. But they recognized there was a man named Jesus Christ, actually, who who lived in Jerusalem and in the, the, the area of Israel, and that he died on a cross. It, the Romans and Jewish historians tell us this. And, and they say that he was even supposed to have risen from the dead and that it started this movement we call Christianity. 
And so just like there are historians who have told us about Augustus Caesar and George Washington, there are historians who told us about Jesus. So Jesus is not a legend. Now, the thing is, if he's not a legend, then he's either Lord or else he's a liar or a lunatic. Let me explain what I mean. If I were to say to you all this morning, hey, everybody, I want to tell you something I've never told you before. I'm God. Nobody laughed. I mean, at the other services, everybody laughed. Well, wouldn't you laugh if I said I'm God? Because you would think I was joking. I hope you'd think I was joking. Because if I wasn't joking, then that would mean one of two things. Because you know I'm not a legend because I'm standing in front of you. You know I'm not Lord. If you've known me for a couple minutes, you know I'm not God. So you know I either have to be a liar or I have to be a lunatic. And so you would evaluate the rest of what I say. And based on that, you would say he's just a liar or he's crazy. But let's go back to Jesus. Jesus said he was God. So he's either Lord, as he said he was. And I know many in the room believe that. But there may be some in the room who haven't made that judgment yet. And so you, you have to decide. Is he liar, Lord, or lunatic? And, and what we're going to do, we're going to look to the Gospel of John, one of the four accounts of Jesus' earthly life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And we're going to see what happened on that day when Many people did say that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer of Israel. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have this account. And not just one of them, but four accounts of Palm Sunday and of Holy Week, of, of Jesus' crucifixion, his, his death and his entombment and his resurrection and so many other things. So that we have evidence that we can evaluate and we can determine in our own hearts, our own minds, what we think and what we believe because what we do think about you does determine how we respond to you and, and, and we know that's true of Jesus. So right now, God, I pray that you would open our spirits, our souls, our lives to you that we might receive what you have for us, that those of us who already trust you will trust you more deeply and those who have not yet trusted you will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... As I already said, the events of today are recorded in four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at John chapter 12. An interesting thing, the four Gospels, each of them devotes a very large amount of material to the last eight days of Jesus' life. That makes sense if you think about it, because during those last eight days, what Jesus did was demonstrate that he had indeed become the Savior of the world, but because of his death and resurrection, that, that's how he proved to us that he is who he says he is. And, and so John devotes nearly half of his book, starting in chapter 12, to the last week, the last eight days. And have you ever, nobody's ever had eight days of higher highs and lower lows than those eight days. Because on the first day, Palm Sunday, Jesus is recognized as King of Kings. On Friday, he's dead. Not sick, he's dead. And then on Sunday, he's alive again. So you talk high, low, high. But right now, let's turn to John chapter 12. If you have your Bible, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. And we're going to look at this through the eyes of four different groups of people. We're first going to look at a group that are called the Passover visitors, then Jesus' disciples, then the locals who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and then finally through the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel. So here's what we read first. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. 
They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. So the Passover visitors thought Jesus was king. They thought he was indeed the Messiah, this long-awaited deliverer that the prophets had spoken about in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, which was their only scriptures. Now, where were these Passover visitors from? The truth is they're from everywhere because Jews had been dispersed all over the world, and every year at Passover, which is the most important holy day in the life of the people of Israel, Israelites and Jews who had been converted, you know, not who were not Israelites, who had lived all over the world, came on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem because they wanted to remember what God had done when through Moses he had delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And so they were there for Passover, and when they saw Jesus, they recognized him. Now here's the question, how did they recognize Jesus? Well, it could be that they heard from word of mouth that some of the people had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, as we're going to see, that is true. Maybe the Holy Spirit told them, but maybe they just knew. Have you ever seen somebody, you know, from a distance and you just knew he was somebody or she was somebody? This happened to us a few weeks ago. Nancy and I were at the airport in Pittsburgh and we were waiting at the baggage claim for our our, our bags um, from the airplane. And and we looked over and there he was. And and I looked at Nancy, she looked at me and she goes, man, he's somebody. And, And it turned out it was James Harrison. Now, some of you went, because you know James Harrison's somebody. He's, you know, he's a football player, plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. People tell me he's small. Huh. He's small? I'm a leprechaun. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's big. He's a big dude, and we knew he was somebody. And, and I think that there were some people who saw Jesus coming into town that day, and they said, he is somebody. But anyway, so that's the first group, the Passover visitors. And then it says, here's what Jesus did. Jesus found a young donkey, he rode on it fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? So what do we see there? Jesus responded to the people, you know, shouting Hosanna by getting a donkey and riding into town. Now, you may or may not know that when an Israelite king rode into town on a donkey, he was symbolizing peace. If he rode in on a, on a stallion, it was time for war. So what Jesus was saying by riding in on a donkey is, I am the king or prince of peace, and I'm bringing peace as I come to town today. Now, what about the disciples? What did the disciples think? They were like, going, duh. What's going on here? I mean, seriously, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know what was going on. In fact, they had to wait till Jesus died, rose again, went to heaven before they got it. That this was what was fulfilled through a prophecy, you know, from the Old Testament that Jesus was going to be, you know, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it's interesting because the disciples already knew that. A few weeks before this event, Jesus had asked the 12 disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter, one of the 12, had said, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus went, yes, I am. So they knew. But that day, while this was all going on, they were like, hmm. And I want to I emphasize why we spend time reading the Bible here at New Life every week, why we underline the importance of learning what this book says. It's because of what the disciples experienced. I'm going to read that again. His disciples didn't understand at the time this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what has had to happen and realized that these things had been written about him. And we're so much like the disciples. We always want to think we know what's going on, but sometimes we're just clueless. 
And we look back on situations and we go, oh, I guess I should have gotten that. But we don't get it until we recognize that this book right here tells us what life is all about, the meaning and purpose of life, and for our lives, and from cover to cover, it's about Jesus. In fact, over the years, people have said to me, how can I live my life more faithfully as Jesus' follower? How can I become more like Jesus? And you know what the short answer to that question is? Read the Bible. Study after study has shown, the most recent one was a Barna uh, and Associates study, and Barna is sort of like the Christian Gallup poll. They studied you know, lots of people over a period of years who have grown up to be mature followers of Jesus, and they found out that the one common denominator is these folks have read, studied, and applied the Bible. Because reading the Bible isn't enough. Information minus application is just information. But information plus application is transformation, right? And so the thing is, we're supposed to obey Jesus. How can we do that if we don't know what he said? So we have to read the word in order to understand it and to apply it. So look what happens next. It says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Now there, that makes sense, doesn't it? These folks had not only heard about Jesus, they had actually seen Jesus as he raised Lazarus from the dead. Think about that. There's a big crowd, and they're all mourning the loss of a loved one named Lazarus, and Jesus comes up, and he's crying too, and the two sisters of Lazarus saying, if you would have just been here, he wouldn't have died but you could still do something about it. And so Jesus tells him to take the stone away from the tomb. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And, um, and Lazarus comes out alive. And he got the grave claws and everything around him, you know. And, and you know why he said Lazarus, come out, right? Because if he just said come out, like everybody in the tomb would have been, it would have been a big crowd of people coming out alive. He only wanted to raise one that day. I don't know why, but he did. And everybody who saw that, it changed their life. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a miracle or seen a miracle, but when you do, it changes your life. And that's the intent. God does miracles to change our lives. He doesn't do miracles because he's a genie in a bottle. And some people don't follow Jesus because they asked for a miracle and they didn't get it. But I remember when I was 17 years old and my brother Ken had the cornea of his eye torn and our pastor prayed for him and he got healed just like that. It changed my life forever. I had, I had trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord when I was 12, but this was when I was 17. I mean, I believed in Jesus when I was 12, but that day, huh, I believed in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that I still don't have strongholds that God needs to work on in my life. That doesn't mean that I always show love to Nancy like I ought to. It doesn't mean that I always you know, feel like my prayers are always answered. Sometimes they feel just as hollow as anybody's. It doesn't mean that I'm always generous or that I'm always fully engaged. But it does mean that more and more, as I remember that miracle, as I remember so many more, as I read about the ones in here and I read about the truth of God's word and I apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit, that I do become more like Jesus. And I know Jesus is no legend. And I know he's not a liar and I know he's not a lunatic. I know he's Lord. But there was one more group that day. As we, as we read these, this last verse, it says, Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Now, here's the thing. We could wish that that was a statement of resignation and agreement. They were saying, look, man, we've been the only deal in town until Jesus came, but we have to admit Jesus is amazing. We have to admit Jesus is the Messiah. We have to admit that we ought to just bow down and worship him too. 
But that isn't what they meant. What they meant was, this guy's a fake. We're not buying it. This guy is a blasphemer, which means he's speaking against God. And so what they did, it wasn't enough for them to say, this guy's a fake. What they said is, we got to get rid of this guy. Because the thing is, you know, there's only one king here in Jerusalem, and that's the emperor, Caesar. And, and, you know, the Romans don't really like it very much when some occupied nation says, we have a new king. So we got to get rid of him for our own good. So whether it was because they legitimately believed Jesus was a fake or because they were just afraid that the Romans were going to come in and crush them, they killed Jesus. They convinced that crowd who was singing Hosanna on Sunday to crucify him on Friday. And they, 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 they wiped their hands and they went away and they thought, that's done. But it wasn't. We know it wasn't because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week. But here's the question. It's, it's the million-dollar question, really. Do we want the freedom that God offers? You see, Jesus died to set us free from sin and from death. Jesus died to liberate us. Now, the thing is, it's not some kind of chaotic kind of freedom that we get to do whatever we want to. And I know we're Americans, so we're born with freedom, right? And, and people are, are, are serving and sometimes dying to keep our freedom. And th that's certainly true. But what I'm talking about right now is the ultimate freedom that Jesus died and rose from the dead to give us. A freedom from sin and death, a freedom for a life of meaning and purpose so that when we wake up in the morning, we know that there's more to life than good enough. And, and, and that's the thing. That's the thing that we have to ask ourselves right now. Is Jesus' freedom part of my experience? Have I been liberated in my spirit, in my soul, in, in my body, from, from sin and death? If the answer is no, I mean, I've given you three opportunities this morning if you've never trusted Jesus to do so during the Lord's Supper, and I said it earlier, you know, about what Lord and Savior means, but right now you could simply say, Jesus, I, I, I know you're not a legend anymore. I, I don't think you're a liar or a lunatic. I, I'm, I'm trusting you as Lord, which means that you're, you're throwing in the towel and saying, I don't want to run my life, I want Jesus to. And Savior, which is the great bonus that we get when Jesus becomes our Lord, which is that we get to live not only this life with him in it, but forever after this life is over. And if you've already done that, you've trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord in your life, the question I have is, are, are you shouting Hosanna today and will you be shouting all week? The sorrow that you carry because you are the reason Jesus died, is that overcome by the celebration of his love and power and presence? Are you growing Step by step by step, more like him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the commitment for today. I will praise Jesus and live my life for him this week. So what kind of life do you want to live this week? Do you, do you want to live a good enough life or an all-in kind of life? You know, it's sort of funny. We live in a culture that advertises in superlatives. Have you ever turned on the TV and seen a, a car commercial that says, buy a Lexus because it's good enough? I don't think so. Buy our refrigerator because it's good enough. Not as bad as some. I don't think so. You know, our cars and our refrigerators and our cell phones and our whatever, they're powerful, super, hyper, everything, right? 
And yet, day by day by day, most of us just wish we could have a life that was good enough. I wish I could get a good enough grade and pass calculus this year. I wish I could do good enough that my husband or wife wouldn't leave me. I wish I could do good enough at work that the boss would notice me. But Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could live good enough. He died on the cross and rose from the dead so we can have the life that's truly life. So what is it? Are, are we gonna, you know, are we gonna put the pedal to the metal or take a break this week? And I'm not saying don't rest. What I'm saying is when it comes to life, the life that Jesus died and rose again to give us, good enough just isn't good enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you weren't willing to let us settle for good enough, that you came in the flesh that you lived a perfect life, the life we couldn't live, that you died the death we should have died to pay the penalty for our sins, and you paid that penalty, and that you rose again to show us that life can be so much better than good enough. God, I pray today for each one in the room who has never trusted Jesus, that even in this moment, he or she would say yes. And for all of us who have said yes to Jesus, that we would go all in this week, that we would let the Holy Spirit fill us and that we would read your word and that we would apply it in such a way that this will be the best week we've ever had. And yes, there's gonna be sorrow, there's gonna be challenge, there's gonna be difficulty, but in the midst of it, that we will know your presence and your power, that resurrection power that we don't have to wait till next Sunday to experience because the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago. God, thank you so much that you are offering us more than we can ask or imagine. And God, we accept it in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.